You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Good morning, Summit Church. Good morning. It's always a blessing to be here. And uh, I was telling Ovi how wonderful it was at Friday when I was at that conference to see the broader body of Christ gathered together. Sometimes we think it's just us here, this, this small community, but when you see that we have so many brothers in Christ all holding true, it's a beautiful thing. And it's the same thing that I'm seeing here this morning. I feel like I'm seeing my brothers and sisters and that we all share in the same truth that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And because we believe in that, he indwells us and we have the power to follow him. Amen? Amen. If I could lead us into a quick prayer before we get into the scriptures. Father, I am grateful, Lord, that you have called us here, Lord, together. That, Father, you have brought us all from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that, Lord, we now are able to worship you and to come before you and to, to, to ask, Lord, and to seek and to knock. That, Father, we know, Lord, that in you stands the wealth that is greater than anything that this world can give. That, Lord, we no longer need to desire, Lord, anything. For you, in you, we have it all. Lord, you are more than just the good that this world can give. You, Lord, are the perfect that only you can give. You are, you are greater than everything else. And we praise you, Lord, and we ask that you would come and soften our hearts. That, Father, you would prepare our hearts to receive the message that you are giving here on this mount. And that, Lord, the words that you spoke 2,000 years ago are still powerful and applicable today. So let us grab hold of them. Amen. Amen. We have been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that has been powerful, convicting, that has opened our eyes to so many things in our lives where uh, we find that we are short, that we fall short. And God is pointing us to a more perfect kingdom, not a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom that is in him, a kingdom that comes with power and that changes us. And the passage that we'll be going through today is, uh, is a powerful passage. And so I want, I want us, before we start, to set our heart's gaze on Christ. And I want to do that by um, helping us visualize something. Because whenever we go through a powerful portion of Scripture, there's another part that is true is that when there's power, there can be abuse. And many times these type of scriptures, the ones that we will be reading today can be used in a way that is not correct and that actually causes more harm than good. So let's put our eyes on Christ because when our eyes are on him, the scriptures are revealed in a way that otherwise they wouldn't be seen. He opens our eyes to things that the flesh can't understand. Amen? So I want us to put ourselves 2,000 years ago as just another face on the side of this mount. It is filled with massive crowds of people. It is filled with the scourge of society, the once scourge of society. 
It was filled with the people that were persistently avoided and rejected, the unclean, the ones that were in pain, that were tormented, that were paralyzed, suffering from, from demons and, and persistent seizures. But now, a light has shone. And those that were sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Those who are in the shadow of death, a light has dawned and hope has sprung for the hopeless. And if you can imagine, the crowd goes quiet as he sits down, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the same faces that had not reflected joy for a very long time are now shining and radiant. And just before this happened, you were hearing the stories of healings and deliverances happening all around you. But now they're quiet, looking at the one that came with the power to deliver. And you look as well. You turn your face and you see him. And he has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Yet he arrests our gaze. He's set apart. There's unending love in his eyes and you become speechless. Why? Because he is the one that Isaiah speaks of. The one that will shut the mouths of kings. In his voice, there is authority. The voice of a king proclaiming to the wretched, the poor in spirit, the beggar, the broken, the hungry, the thirsty for righteousness and the mourning. That good news has come that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and is here to be taken. And he opens his mouth and says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And like I was saying, just as he spoke 2000 years ago, that still rings today true. And his voice is echoing ever more powerfully through this scripture today that we will read. So let us keep our minds on Christ and remember that he is speaking. These are not just words, but they are words to be cherished. Amen? Let's read Matthew 7, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Hallelujah, right? Praise God. Powerful passage. And that is, uh, that is the beauty of this passage is that the power that lies here is something amazing, but it is also the issue for a lot of people because they misabuse it and they use it in the wrong way. And it can be misrepresented, mistranslated, misapplied in ways that Jesus had never intended it to. 
Now, misapplication of this text can lead to serious fault lines and fracturing in the foundation of our walk with Christ and can eventually lead to a breakdown of our faith. This amazing promise that we read here um, must be understood as Christ intended it. And as Christ intended it, is that it is a foundational truth. This is not dealing with the superficial desires of our heart, but it is dealing with a foundational need. The issue, let me be clear, the issue is not the text itself. The text is not unclear. It is the heart of the one reading it. We are visually impaired. And that is why many times we read things in ways that we shouldn't. And we understand them in ways that serve us rather than serve our Lord. Now, the first word of this passage is the word ask. So I'll begin by asking two questions. What is this passage? And who is this passage for? And simply put, just very sort of clear and easy, it is a promise. This passage is a promise. And at first glance, it seems to be for everyone who asks. Now, when we, because the scripture can be used incorrectly, it can affirm things that God would not have wanted to affirm here. And the things that it can be used to affirm are things that actually we hear all the time from our society. I don't know, I've, I've, I feel like I've been hearing it more and more. Um, whenever I listen to any, any secular shows or any things that, anything that is outside of the Christian realm, everyone's holding to this truth. And if you were there on Friday, you probably heard Pastor Lucas talk a little bit of some of these things. This, these ideas that are prevalent even in progressive Christianity. It's something called manifesting. That if you desire and you seek in your mind the things that you want and are persistent for them or your desires, it will realize itself. The world will align and the planets will align and it will bring about your desires. Man, you're, you're powerful. Nothing is out of your reach. Rather, you're just not reaching. We are in control of our own reality. We just haven't been tapping into the true reality the reality that is above our own reality because it's a secret to many, but it's available for you. This can also be called the law of attraction. And if you look it up online, I mean endless articles over and over. Everyone wants to talk about this. And I found an article that really condensed it down to something pretty simple. Um, and the one line is this, it says, in essence, this practice is all about being the creator of your own reality. Being the creator. Not only that, but it says, you are encouraged to affirm yourself and be give every positive affirmation with the words, I am. I am good. I am loving. I am kind. I seek justice. I, right? Interestingly enough, uh, we know one person that calls himself the I am, and it shouldn't be us. Right? Well, this ideology confirms an internal divinity. That we are one with the universe and our lives are a mess because we have not realized that this divine power is within us 
and that we can manifest what our best life should be now. I don't know if you've heard anything like that. But for us as a Christian, this is clearly blasphemous, heretical, and delusional. This is not something that is unexpected or a shock when it comes from the world, but it is bothersome when it comes from people claiming to be the church. And the unfortunate thing is that we are seeing this being taught in America as gospel. And not only that, rather than it started in the wealthy parts of the world, but now it seems to be reaching into the poverty stricken parts of the world. And it's, it's doing horrible damage to people. The teachers claim that the name, they, t- they claim the name of Christ all while spreading poison. They use passages like these to affirm a similar view as manifesting that we have the power to make real the things we ask for, the things we seek and knock for. You don't have because you do not believe. Have faith and you will receive whatever you want. And they teach that you shouldn't have to suffer. But Christ intends only good things for you in this world. Physical blessings. And if these things are not true in your life, it is because you are failing somewhere in your faith. And it puts the burden and blame on you. All of the onus falls on you. And what does this lead to? This leads to shame. And not only leading to shame, but it it leads those children that they are teaching to believe that the true gospel is a lie when they've been sold a false gospel. Let me be clear. The teachers that teach these things and push these lies are children of their father, the devil. They seek to make gain from the gospel of Christ, not concerned that they lead children astray rather than feed them with the life-giving gospel. Fortunately, we have the inspired word of God in our hands. And for those that read it, there is no battle to be fought because it is incongruent with the whole of scripture, this ideology. It makes the scripture a cacophonous mess, a series of noises. And as Pastor Lucas brought up, they they choose scriptures that they want and leave scriptures that they don't. Hard to argue with these type of people but the scriptures that we have are a harmonious melody that all point to Christ. Now, some of us may have been taught these things, these very things that we're hearing of right now, these prosperity gospel, word of faith teachings. And I've heard it myself. I've heard it taught myself. This teaching is insidious. Without knowing it, this theology can lead to you building a whole spiritual framework that is built improperly. And if it is not corrected, it leads to a catastrophic end, a catastrophic end. Many times people will go long with this type of theology in America because we are so blessed here and we have so much fruit all around us. Much harder to keep on to this when everything around you is quaking. But let's proceed. So let's turn to the scripture and see how the twisting of scripture can become more difficult as you continue reading it. So we began with verses seven and eight, and it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And that is easily twistable. So easy. 
I mean, uh, I don't even have to really explain how it, we just did. Uh, you can use it to fulfill anything that you want. Apply it to everything that you want. But what comes afterwards throws a wrench in their interpretation and should clarify it for us. Or what is man there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So I want to ask with, I want to start with a question, a good question, I think. What is wrong with these kids? Have you ever thought about that? Aren't you curious why these kids are being given bread and fish as gifts? And they're asking for it. I can't imagine my daughter ever, ever asking me for a seared fish and a piece of bread for Christmas or for her birthday as a gift. They should be asking for more. They should be asking for the amazing things in life, the beautiful things, the, the shiny things. At least that's what someone that wants to fulfill their desires thinks and views this scripture as. The thing is, there is nothing wrong with what these kids ask. Actually, God says it is good. Us thinking there is something wrong with them shows that there is something wrong with us. Let me give you a quick illustration that may help us grasp this, grasp this a little easier. Let's say it's one week before Christmas this year, 2023. We're coming up to it. And there's a father and his child, and they are getting ready for Christmas and the buildup and the excitement, it's, it's visible in, in the child's eyes. They are excited, waiting, and he's extremely, or they are extremely giddy, could be a girl or a boy, extremely giddy, expecting that on Christmas morning, they'll open all those presents, the presents that will be wrapped beautifully and have their name written on them. And not only that, the child has written a list. And I mean, this is an amazing list. It's an exhaustive list. It has everything, candy and Legos and Ukrayans and chalk and a swimming pool. And I mean, it was exhaustive. It had everything they saw in Meyer, Kroger, and Costco as they walked through, right? And on Christmas morning, this child wakes up early and wakes uh, the father and the mother out of bed and they go down and turn on the lights and the child notices that there's only one very large box. And the first thought is even with this being pretty large, there is no way that all my gifts fit in it. But the opening proceeds and the child begins to tear open this box. And inside, surprise, there was a year's supply of plain vanilla nutritional shakes. These were meal replacement shakes. One thing was clear, the child was not happy. Not happy at all. The child said, I don't need or want this and yells at the father and mother, calling them evil parents. You might even agree and think that they were evil. How could they not be, give their child anything that they wanted? God would agree with you. They are evil, but he would disagree with you in the fact that he thinks the gift is good. Why does he think the gift is good? Well, he knows the extra details, the details that we haven't heard yet. He knows that the child is blind and refuses to recognize these details as well. Let me tell you what these details are. The child is dying from a horrible, aggressive disease. Let's call this sin. And due to this disease, this child has become a skeleton of their old self. They are on death's door. Not only that, because they haven't eaten for such a long time, they have forgotten even the desire to eat. 
This happens frequently. If you don't eat, you lose that desire eventually. And these parents, searching for something that they could give their child, found these nutritional shakes and found that this child can keep it down and it can keep them alive. And the child is not aware, but what the parents are giving them is more expensive than all the gifts that they had on their list. And not only that, infinitely more valuable in the fact that it will keep them alive. Now the child above is a picture of someone trapped in this type of theology, the word of faith, prosperity, gospel-minded person. They are blind children and they ask for the things to fulfill their own desires. They don't even see that they're hungry or thirsty. They only want what they, what they find pleasure in. They have forgotten even the desire to eat. It says in James chapter four, verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Those that twist this scripture cannot understand why God is not concerned at all with their desires because they see God as their servant rather than their Lord. Praise be to God that he is sovereign and in control. Because if we were, we would still be poor and needy headed for destruction. His kingdom has come for something greater. He does not only want to offer us something good, but something that is better and more precious than any joy that this world could give us. Any joy that you can find in this life. The value of this gift comes at the greatest cost, the cost of his son. And this is what is so evil about reading these scriptures with the view of fulfilling your desires. We make the true and loving God out to be the evil parent and ourselves the loving God. When nothing is further from the truth, is it any wonder that the world would put to death the one that came to bring life? And they did this because they already had their own God. It was their desires. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 to 19, for many walk of whom I, am, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on worldly things. They that teach and twist these scriptures for their own gain are children of their father, the devil. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Just imagine, my daughter is starving and dying of malnutrition and asks me for bread and fish. And I give her a beautiful diamond set crystal pony with inlaid pink silk for its mane and tail and a platinum saddle with 24 karat gold accents. Man, I'm a good father. No, right? I gave her something very precious, something that she probably wants and desires very badly, but I let her slide even closer to death. You would call this evil. But this is what those false teachers are doing. There is only one person that they have learned this from, and it is from the devil himself. Why? Because this comes directly from his framework of tricking Christians. He tries to provide us with the things that we desire rather than the things that we need. 
and we are drawn closer to death and eternal separation from him through this distraction. Now, on the other hand, let's go back to the scriptures. The child in this text that we read in verse nine through 10 is different. They realize that they are starving and in need of nourishment and therefore asks of their father for the things that will give them life, bread and fish. These kids aren't the weird ones. They are the children that are aware of their state. This is also shown to us that, this also shows to us that the promise that is being given here is not for everyone who seeks or knocks, but it is for those whom the Holy Spirit has revealed the need to ask, seek and knock. It is for those that are being and have been adopted into the kingdom of God. This is why Christ mentions bread and fish, not toys and gold. Because he wants us to turn our attention to the fact that we reek of death. And in our need of life, we are not in need of the twinkling and shiny things of this world. We are to approach God as these little children. Asking for what is our most important need that we be reconciled to God, not that we ask to fulfill our pleasures and desires. When we come to the Father as needy children, the gift that he gives us not only is greater than our desires, but he provides us with new desires. Jesus says, you are evil as parents. He calls those parents evil. So I'm sure the prosperity gospel people don't like that either. They Throw that aside. This is not for us. <laughs> the first part is uh, we can give good things even though we're evil. But ultimately, what, what are we really doing for our child? We're not ultimately filling them. We give them enough to continue living today. But our God being a good father can provide more than just filling us today. He can fill us both physically and spiritually. He can bring us from death unto life and not a temporal life, but an eternal one. In seeking what is most important, Jesus promises to give us the things we need for life eternal and for life in this world as well. That comes with it. A bread that he can only give and it takes away hunger forever and thirst forever. Jesus then said to them in John six thirty-two through 37, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they sent to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who, he who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. What a beautiful promise. And if we see this passage in line with this, it makes more clear sense what's happening here. So don't be preoccupied with the temporal things of this world, but first and foremost, ask for the bread, ask for the bread of eternal value. Ask for what is most important. Now, what is that? So what is it? This eternal bread, ask for the kingdom to dwell in us. Ask for the kingdom to dwell in us. This shouldn't be a surprise. If it is a surprise, you probably weren't listening these last few weeks because 
Jesus just continues to say, my kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom, his kingdom. He says, when you pray, your preoccupation must first be the kingdom that it may come and his will be done. Don't be anxious about the needs of this life, but be preoccupied with his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will provide all you need. There is a higher calling than the bread and fish, our dress and drink of this world. It is the bread of life, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his kingdom. Amen? God is so good that when we come to him as beggars, he makes us sons and gives us all that is required to ask, seek, and knock for his kingdom. He answers by putting the very thing that makes his kingdom precious within us. This is how he answers our request for the kingdom. And so what is the kingdom now that will dwell within us? Let's go to Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in what? In the Holy Spirit. And let's look at the same passage that we're reading now, but in Luke. So I, asked you, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And we go all the way down to that last portion, the one that I've highlighted there. It's a little different, but it clarifies it even more. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Matthew says good things, but I, I challenge you, what is better than the Holy Spirit dwelling within you? It is the best thing. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the spirit of truth that will guide us into all truth. He is the counselor. He's the one that lives with us and in us by which we are sealed in Christ as a pledge for our eternal inheritance and gives us power to testify of the truth. What truth of Christ? He will be with us forever. He guides our speech and reveals to us the things of God. What good thing could be greater than this, that God himself would dwell in us and that we can take part of the kingdom of heaven while still on this earth. And that we would be sealed for eternity given the one promise that all men seek, eternal life. And not just eternal life, but with God, our savior and redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen? So does someone go around let me ask another question. Does someone go around asking his neighbors for water when he has a brand new well in his backyard? Is he asking and seeking, man, where do I get this water? Going to his neighbors? No. Why? Well, he has, a, he has a well in his backyard. It says right there. He has all the water he wants. So the reason we ask is because we do not have. The reason we seek is because we have not found. And the reason we knock is because we cannot open. It is outside our power to attain. Asking is not something people like to do. Rather, it's uncomfortable. And most people waited till they've exhausted every other option. But who do we see asking seemingly without shame? Children and also beggars. I've already mentioned the children. Now I want to make you beggars. Christ is not saying ask as a beggar. It's not me making you a beggar. It's Christ making you a beggar. He's saying, don't ask as a beggar. Rather, he's saying, we are the beggar. We are the one and the same. Us and the beggar can grab hands. We both come to Christ the same. We need him. 
Christ is saying, you have no options. That's why he's telling us to ask. The beggar does not stop asking if the king is in the city and walking by, but rather, what does he do? He yells even louder, knowing that he is the one that has most to offer. So ask even louder for the kingdom because the king is in our midst. Ask because there's no hope outside of him. Amen. This is why Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is revealing to us our spiritual poverty. Come as the spiritual beggars that you are, not as a creator of your own reality. Accept your spiritual bankruptcy and that you are unable to pay for your debts. Do we go to a farmer when we need our car fixed or to a mechanic when we need a gallon of milk? No, we go to the one who has what we need because the one who has will also be the one who will have to give. So turn to Jesus because he always has enough. He can do more than forgive your spiritual bankruptcy. He gives you eternal life and he can send his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. Amen. Now the asking is not enough. It must lead to seeking. This is not a one-time thing. Rather, we must persist in our seeking. But what must we seek? No surprise again. We must seek the exact thing he tells us to his kingdom and his righteousness. He says it just a few verses up. Very quickly, we realize that in the seeking of the kingdom and righteousness, it leads directly to the door of the king. And as we seek the kingdom, we draw closer to the king. We begin to see how great the chasm is between this worldly kingdom and the kingdom of God. The seeking is where desperation grows because as we seek his kingdom, we realize just how dark and hopeless it is outside of it and how much beauty there is inside of it. We become as the merchant who will give, who will, who will, uh, give all he has for what he has found. Do you know this passage? Let's read it. Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. What is he doing? He is seeking, seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is how we should be. There is nothing more precious than our Lord, than his kingdom. Now, seeing that we are powerless and hopeless and that in him are all things good, righteous, and holy, what are we to do? We are to knock at the only door by which we can gain entry into the kingdom, and that is Jesus Christ. The knocking is not this polite kind of knocking, right? That we do, we don't even want to be heard. We just knock a little bit. This is the desperate knock of a person facing destruction and certain death. This would have been similar to the knocking that Noah may have heard on the outside of the ark after he had closed it and people saw certain destruction coming their way. This is a persistent, loud knocking that if someone did at your house, you would run with all your might to open the door just to stop it. While this desperate, persistent knocking would cause us pain, this knocking does not bother our Lord but he opens the door with wide arms, ready to comfort us, desperate sinners, and bring us in to adopt us as sons and will keep us securely in his arms. And in his arms, we realize something. He lets us know that he saw us far off and that it was him directing our way to him and that he was not surprised by our knock, 
but knew the very moment of it. So what is Christ first and foremost saying in this passage? He's saying that we must ask for the kingdom to come dwell in us, seek for his kingdom and his righteousness, and we must knock at kingdom's door. These three are realized through something that we just talked about this morning that Ovi, Pastor Ovi just brought up. It is realized through prayer. It must be the norm, both for the one being saved and the one that is saved. Asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer is the way that a Christian must traverse every moment in this world. Asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer never ends until when? Until we see him face to face. And we will. That's coming. Now, while practice, while this practice does continue, it doesn't remain the same. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. Once we have been granted the kingdom, once we come to know Christ, he resides in us and through us, through the Holy Spirit. Now, once we have that in us, we even read this portion of scripture a little differently. Because he changes our desires and he changes what we knock for. Rather than knocking to be granted the kingdom, we have it. Now we knock that we would advance it into the world. That is why we come to him. Let's turn to Acts 4 to see what this change looks like. The context of this is that they had been summoned by the leaders of Jerusalem and they were told, hey, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And not only that, we threaten you. So they, they know this is a threat. This is not just like, hey, how you doing? Please, it's, no, something will come of it. And this is how they respond. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that for your bondservants, that, that your bondservants may speak the word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal signs and wonders, that, uh, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They asked that they would be granted boldness to advance his kingdom in the face of threats. This is a change from what we see just earlier in the same apostles hiding for fear of the same type of threat. Now they're going forward. Why is this? Because the Holy Spirit resides in them. They are made new. And once we have been torn from the kingdom of darkness and have become part of the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, he dwells in us and we have new desires. And every good and righteous and beautiful thing we already have in Christ. So what can they threaten us with? We have it all already. So we boldly go and God gives us boldness to go. Paul tells the church in Corinth this very truth in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To a Jew, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, the world asks for power, and the world asks for wisdom, but we don't ask. Why don't we ask? Because we preach, we have. We have Christ crucified. 
If we have Christ, we no longer seek for power or wisdom because he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In him, we have more than the world could dream of attaining. So naturally, why, we would, why would we be preoccupied with anything in the world if in him we find not only what is better, but that which is perfect, a wealth that puts to shame all that the world claims. And we have uh, more uh, examples of what the apostles in the church were doing after this change, being filled with this Holy Spirit and being part of the kingdom. We see in Colossians 1.9 that the, the thing they are asking for is that they have not ceased to pray that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. They are praying once again, the advancement of the kingdom. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in Ephesians 3, 4, 14 through 20, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do for more, who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the powers that work within us. So once again, we see that Paul and the apostles are now preoccupied with the church advancing and being strengthened. This is the natural shift to seek to further the name of the one that has freed us from our bondage and certain death. This is a, persistent in, a persistence in the face of suffering, pain and death. They were, let, let me just clarify that this is not just a little suffering, but they were put in prison. Paul says he was whipped times without number, five times received 39 lashes, bitten, beaten with rods three times, stoned once. He has gone hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. They endured cold without adequate clothing and all other than John were martyred. Andrew was crucified, tied to a cross. Um, we, we have, uh, he survived actually multiple days preaching the gospel, the good news. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. Philip died by hanging. Bartholomew is believed to have been flayed to death with knives. Thomas is said to have been speared to death. James, son of Alphaeus, is said to have died by crucifixion and his body was cut in pieces. Thaddeus by arrows. Simon the Zealot crucified. Why? Because they had the most precious thing, Christ. And this is what they did once they were brought from that worldly kingdom to the heavenly one, they advanced and they pushed forward with no fear of death. Now, a little switch up here as well. Does this mean we cannot pray and ask and seek and knock for material things in this world? Absolutely not. God is your father and he wants you to ask and speak to him, to be sincere. There are many passages that encourage us in the asking of all things from God to make all of our requests known to the Lord. It says if you, in John 15, seven, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Important part is if you abide in me and my words abide in you. In John 5, 14 uh, through 15, it says, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked of him. We know that he will answer us. Now, unfortunately, we see some little things there and we begin to question, right? Um, how can we know the will of God? Unfortunately, our minds as human beings can only know the mind of man. 
But fortunately, we have been given the greatest gift because we have asked, because he has convicted us, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being God knows the mind of God and can direct us even in our prayers and how we should ask, what we should ask. What we must be careful to do is to judge our hearts sincerely, to keep watch the desires of this world. Do not become our preoccupation as we walk through this world or our preoccupation when we bow down to the Father in prayer. The most important thing to realize is that he is our Father and that he is good, a good Father. And though we can get short-tempered and aggravated by our children's continuous requests for the same thing over and over, a purple stuffed raccoon <laughs> just never stops. <laughs> I can't find one. Uh, God does not, but actually he tells us that we should be persistent in prayer and keep knocking so that it will be opened. And there are seasons of this life that we are constantly hit with wave after wave, storm after storm. And God will not become angry that we continue to ask him for things but rather in our asking and reliance on him, he will mold us and comfort us. Amen. If we have requests and needs in this world, we must also remember that we have the church, the body of Christ. Let us not forget that this kingdom is not merely of use in the spiritual realm, but it has invaded the physical world and is of use in this material world. We as the church are not merely to strengthen one another spiritually, but materially as well. We are the body of Christ. And when one part suffers or is in need, we all are affected. We are all indwelled by the same spirit and unified in him. So we must all lean on one another as we lean on Christ. Amen. We actually see that often Paul speaks of the help he receives from the churches. And we see that the heart of the church from its initial start was that no one goes needing. They even started doing things that probably they were never instructed to do, but they sold everything, got, or got together, brought everything together. They were focused on meeting each other's needs. It's a beautiful picture. So it's the same thing. We are ambassadors of this kingdom. Let us not be ashamed to ask one another for help. To end, I want to leave us with some of the words of Matthew Henry. Beautiful man of God. He says, ask, seek, and knock. These three words can be seen as one word. Pray, pray often, pray with sincerity and seriousness. Pray and pray again. Be constant in it, make a business of praying, and be earnest in it. Ask as a beggar, ask alms, and as a traveler, asks for the way. Seek as for a thing that is of great value, as, as the merchant man seeks the precious pearl. And Knock as the one that desires to enter into a house knocks. If you realize today that you are hungry, that you are thirsty, that you are poor and wretched, ask for the bread of life that will take away all hunger. And for us that have been grafted entry, that have been granted entry, that have been grafted and adopted as sons and daughters, let us rejoice in the righteousness, peace, and joy that we have in the Holy Spirit, who not only reveals to us the heart of God, but intercedes and asks on our behalf. So I encourage you, I don't discourage you, but I encourage you, ask in prayer, seek in prayer, knock in prayer. Amen? Let me, let me lead us in prayer in closing. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.